Little hint from the future while editing. Man of the West has a bit of robotic voice at the beginning, but it goes away in a moment. Sorry for that. Welcome to the second episode of the Of Games and Ring podcast. My fantastic guests today, and we also will focus a bit more on Tolkien, but they can maybe introduce yourself for the maybe five people who don't know them. Let's start with uh, Joysen. Hey everyone, I uh, hope you all are doing well wherever you are in Middle Earth. Uh, Chris, thanks for having me. Matt, it's good to talk to the both of you. So yeah, I'm glad to be here. Hello everyone, uh, I am Matt from Nerd of the Rings on YouTube, and yeah, it's a great Great uh, pleasure to be here. Um, it's great to hear uh, both of you guys live. I've heard your voices on your YouTube videos, so it's it's kind of <laughs> cool to to hear you guys live. Nice, nice. So yeah, we have a lot of um, interesting topics. Like I said, it will be a bit more focused today because of this experts when it comes to experts when it's come uh, when it comes to Tolkien law. Uh, we will focus a bit more on Tolkien today, but also have a little uh, gaming section that uh, might be interesting uh, for uh, some people. Um, we just talked recently a, a little bit about um, what, what, what games um, you are playing. And Joysen, uh, I think, said yeah, he usually play like Lord of Rings games or a lot of those. Yeah, it's, it's funny because like people say when, when you make your passion or your hobby, your job or whatever, that you kind of lose interest in it. It, that's not at all been the case for me sure maybe i don't like to necessarily edit on my in my spare time but i still love playing middle earth games and then after i play my lord of the rings online i'll like read the fall of gondolin and then i'll fall asleep and then i'll wake up and you know play some battle for middle earth so it's it's like i'm always there <laughs> yeah i i can see this is something even though i have to admit when it comes to gaming when a new Lord of Rings games would come out, I would definitely play it, but it's not like I would go back and replay um, old Lord of Rings games because my, my backlog of games I want to play is just so big. So oh, yeah, absolutely. That's <laughs> often like a problem. I also saw that a Nerd of the Rings played um, on a great charity stream. Uh, you played, uh, I think, Lego Lord of the Rings. That's right. Yeah, yeah. For uh, 24 hours and 10 minutes. <laughs> Great. Um, I, I did get to take breaks. I earned like 10 minute breaks for every hour that I played. Man. Uh, but yeah, we, we raised, uh, I want to say it was around $3,100 for um, the Dave Thomas Foundation for Adoption. So that was fun. That's, that's awesome, man. Um, yeah. But yeah, I'm a, I'm a big fan of the Lego Lord of the Rings and Hobbit games because as, as a dad, it's something that I can play with my kids. Um, you know, obviously I'm not going to bust out Shadow of Mordor or Shadow of War when the, <laughs> when the kids are around. Um, but yeah, I, I'm kind of the same. You know, I I, uh, I actually, you know, um, because I spend so much time editing and researching, I don't have a whole lot of time for gaming anyway and really didn't even before starting the channel. Um, but I will actually, I'm kind of different in a way where I will go back and play the old Lord of the Rings games that I'm mm -hmm. a huge fan of, like... Once in a while, I'll bust out the old Return of the King on oh, uh, yeah. for original <laughs> Xbox. I still have an Xbox 360. The only reason I have it is to play Return of the King once, you know, every couple years. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so that's that's one of my favorites. And then uh, War in the North is another one. Yeah, that that's, that's also great. Visits. Yeah, when my brother visits, we do co-op on that. Oh, that's oh, cool. That's awesome. What are the characters you two play? Um, so he's always... Uh, 
I'm I get hazy on the names. Uh is it Farin the dwarf? Yeah. yeah. His name? Yeah. And then um I'm the ranger. Uh is it Eridan? Something Eridan, like this. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And so we're always bailing out the elf, you know, who's the one that can <laughs> heal us. I think, you know, in retrospect we might have gone a different route with that, but <laughs> <laughs> well, that's pretty uh that's pretty cool. Um, do you remember when um, Shadow of uh, Mordor was first announced? Because I was very skeptical when I first saw the uh, trailers when uh, the games uh, when the game was announced because it looked like um, Assassin's Creed in like um, disguise of on a lot with a lot of ring skin basically uh, tacked onto it. And then I read, okay, it plays in Mordor. What a really strange decision. I mean, there's so many great <laughs> places. Why exactly it has to play yeah. in Mordor? You have all of Middle Earth to go with and you choose the barren wasteland. Yeah. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I found that a pretty uh, weird decision and it was uh, very skeptical. But I have to admit, it turned out to be kind of a fun game. And it was with this... Um, what did they call it? This nemesis system and these mm -hmm. uh, dynamic dialogues and so on was pretty, um, what to call it, um, innovative, I would say. It was really oh, yeah. not seen. It really surprised me just from a gameplay perspective, even though the, um, let's say, um, the law was a bit wonky, to say the least. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was about to ask, like, so I love the gameplay of both those games, but... Mm -hmm. Everything that, like, the things that always hold me back from, like, wanting to play it again or, or whatever is is the lore, to be completely honest. Because sometimes it's just, like, a change. It's just kind of how, you know, Jackson did with the movies, where it's like, oh, you know, we're going to go a different direction. Sometimes it's a blatant disregard for the characters or the lore. Uh, I mean, see Helm Hammerhand as a Nazgul for that, or yeah. a Sealdor as a Nazgul for that. Like, it, it gets... It gets really rough in that regard um and, and yeah i mean does that kind of bother you guys as well or or do you not really take that into consideration when you're playing it yeah so i i always tell people you know from time to time on the channel i'll get people asking me well, what about you know talion you know where does he come in you know when i'm <laughs> yeah. doing a video on aragorn i'm like eh, there's no there is no talion here um <laughs> and, and I always tell people, you know, go for the gameplay, not the lore when it comes to those games. Yeah, um, I think I think you're totally dead on. Like the most egregious things are probably what you mentioned with, you know, Helm Hammerhand and Isildur becoming wraiths like it, it doesn't even make sense, honestly. But, <laughs> um, you know, they they just kind of like said, OK, we're going to treat this as a sandbox and we're just going to play in it kind of thing. Um, yeah, but it, as as someone who really enjoyed Assassin's Creed, playing that back in like college and stuff. Oh yeah, um, it's they're really really fun games to play, um, and I would like to see you know if they end up doing a third one, I'd like to see them do more of Middle Earth. What you guys touched on earlier, it's kind of odd that uh, you know we've had two games purely set in Mordor. It's like man, I want to go to Rivendell like with this quality of a uh, of a game. Like show us some other places. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, you know, something something that I always think about, whether it comes to the Amazon Lord of the Rings show that's coming up or or whatever it is, is like, you know, with adaptations, as long as they stay true to the themes of of Tolkien, I, I think that's, you know, that's what's important to make you actually feel like you're in Middle Earth. Um, it occurred to me when I was playing Shadow of War a couple months ago that 
it's almost like you said a sandbox game it's it's almost a what if aragorn took the one ring kind of uh, video game yeah. because yeah you have like talion getting you know spoiler alert for <laughs> anyone who hasn't gotten there yet but he he has to you know build his own ring i i call this new ring the two ring since it's not the one <laughs> ring <laughs> i like it one nice. one thanks <laughs> and uh you know so it's almost like yeah what if aragorn got the one ring and then eventually you know talion becomes a wraith has to take on one of the nine um it's yeah it's it's a very sandbox game i, I like that i like that yeah i i can i can see this i mean i also see it a bit like a fan fiction basically that is um maybe a way to describe it and mm -hmm. also i think what it does it makes people curious about some of the let's call it um, more advanced law aspects yeah. of the game like uh, of the of the Tolkien's world i mean it's not correctly portrayed but of course you hear about for example there's i think in shadow of um uh, mordor is for example like you can find those little statues and items with a little bit of oh, lore yeah. background going for example a statue yeah. of the two blue wizards and so on so it can make people people uh, curious and often people ask okay how how does this fit to the to the law and that is basically where i get more positive maybe towards uh, this game because um, it had a huge impact on my channel uh, it was basically the i made a law comparison video in 2017 i think it was march or something um about shadow of mordor and uh, the book law and that was like the first video that blew up on my channel and basically notched my channel into the direction making more law related stuff mm. so for me personally, it's That's a awesome. very special game, in in that regard. I never expected like um, anything like this, but yeah, here we can see it right now in the uh, background. There's this is one of the items you can find. We get a little bit of uh, background story here and there, and some interesting references, even to, for example, um, Gorlim, the um, guy from the first age who uh, betrayed Barahir, and so on. Mm, so. Yeah. There's a lot of um, interesting aspects in this. I, I have to admit, I really uh, enjoy this, even though it, it chronologically it makes no sense. And also some of the stuff they build to create this plot make, as you said, it makes no sense. It's really um, so far yeah. off. I mean, I think in, if I recall from Shadow of Mordor, the first one, they had Celebrimbor forge the One Ring. So I think Sauron was also there, but I believe it was Celebrimbor himself. Yeah, he, it or, was like it was the two of them. Yeah, the, the two of them. I think um, Sauron forged it, and uh, Celebrimbor um, basically uh, refined it or something, and mm. under the control of Sauron, something like this. And then he stole it, and it made no sense because yeah. he made himself invisible, and then um, Sauron couldn't see him anymore. That <laughs> makes no sense, I guess, because <laughs> you can of course see the unseen, but I don't know. It, it was really there were some strange ideas in it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and it's funny because you can tell that the developers or the writers, at least they looked deep enough into the lore yeah. to know what to kind of change. So, right, they had a look into the character of Celebrimbor, into how the One Ring was forged, the Second Age, all of that. But then they looked that deep, and rather than just translating it as Tolkien wrote it, they're like, okay, now that we know what it's like, we're just going to flip it on its head, have Celebrimbor wearing the One Ring during the War of the Last Alliance it slips off his finger and falls on Sauron's finger and then Sauron kills him. And it's like, what? Yeah. <laughs> you already are that deep in the lore. Just go with the lore. <laughs> yeah, totally. That is kind of, yeah, it's really strange in my opinion. Uh, yeah. They, 
I, I heard like some interviews and they said that um, they also had to coordinate a lot with uh, Middle Earth Enterprises there to um, wow. to to get um, anywhere going. But yeah, it's really mm. it's really strange that that they came up with such a weird story especially what what annoyed me the most was how they portrayed Kelly Brimbor my my imagination of this character was all always be he's like a hero he's like yep. the one who um even though he maybe did a mistake by trusting uh, Sauron but i guess who can blame him and on the other side he also tried to make uh, up for this mistake by hiding the three elven rings and um, yeah. even under torture he did not reveal where where they where he put them that is yeah grim I mean, but no, that's, impressive that's a that's a great point i mean of the feanorians celebrimbor is definitely one of the best ones he, he yeah, renounces sure. his father in nargothrond uh and mm -hmm. yeah and, and he um like you say he he made the three elven rings he he hid them from sauron i i also kind of view him as this tragic hero who, yeah. whose ambitions yeah overcame his wisdom um you know, I lo I know he at least in some versions of the story he loved Galadriel, but Galadriel was with right. Celeborn. Yeah. So yeah, he he never married, he never had kids. Exactly. That's uh, he's really a tragic figure in the in the law itself, and what and the 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 game portrays him more like I would imagine uh, Feanor himself basically, but he was yeah. Feanor was he Celebrimbor di distanced himself from his grandfather, uh, if you want to put it that way and yeah it's it's kind of weird i guess i mean on on, on a note it of course fits some the, the some of the themes of the old law in, in tolkien's world to some degree i guess like like i said he's reminiscent of uh, feanor a lot more than he is actually of feanor's grandson and like feanor also dismissed yeah. the silmarilli he could have used them to restore the trees he did not decide it then Morgoth mm -hmm. stole them then the oath of Feanor happened we know um, all these uh, details and then the whole tragedy that led to the death and to the death of most of his sons and even the last survivor of his or last surviving son also is a very tragic end if you think about that yeah, yeah. And, and, and they twisted that tragedy the game did into just uh, I don't know in, into something that is kind of ropey it's something that you would yeah. see in just a lot of places just kind of this this evil guy he tried to you know towards the end of shadow of war it's revealed that no he doesn't just want to defeat sauron he wants to uh, overcome and like subdue sauron make sauron his mm. slave and then take over middle earth and i'm like that's not yeah. killer yeah and that's not that's not something that sounds like it's from tolkien you know yeah it doesn't it doesn't really fit with tolkien I will say, you know, on the topic of Celebrimbor, I, I gained an appreciation for the guy, like how much he's been through when <laughs> researching him. You realize he was in Nargothrond, which fell to Glaurung the dragon. Yeah. And then from there, he goes to Gondolin, which <laughs> falls, you know, in like spectacular, you know, just horrifying fashion. And yeah. then he goes, you know, First age is over, Morgoth's overthrown, everything's gravy now. Let's go to Eriador, starts his own realm, everything's going peachy, and then 
this guy shows up with plans for jewelry and all heck breaks loose <laughs> and his third fallen realm like the guy cannot catch a break no matter that's where a, he chooses that's to a live good point yeah that's a really good point man yeah. <laughs> that's a pretty good point he can't catch like a break. yeah if you show up if you show up to an elven realm and it's like oh yeah here's uh Celebrimbor. he lives here too it's like I'm gonna keep oh, going. I'm I think uh, I'm gonna go to yeah. uh, Lorien, maybe or Linden. Yeah, as far away from him as possible. I mean, yeah. Gladriel had the right idea. She just went on the other side of the mountains, and she was yeah. fine. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that is true. That's true. The distraction follows um, right behind him. It's kind of impressive <laughs> in that regard. Um, shall we uh, move on a little bit? We have um, another um, interesting. When it comes to a lot of rings games. And there's also, um, in my opinion, I'm, I still can't believe that it's uh, going to be a thing, the Gollum game. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that, that it, it came out of nowhere, and I know the um, developer of it a little bit. They make usually adventures. So uh, when they first announced, yeah, Tedelic Entertainment, I think they're called, um, they are making a Gollum game. I thought, oh, that is interesting, like a little adventure, like not funny, but maybe more serious, but comparable mm-hmm. um, to, I don't know, Monkey Island or something. That would be pretty cool. Yeah, I, I think um, from what I could tell from the Steam page, it's like the Steam page is up, but we, we don't really have any like announcements of when it's coming out or anything right. like that. But I think it's going to be more of a personality choice based game where mm-hmm. when you do have to fight, it's it's stealth as Gollum would. Um, and that's really interesting that it's going. I, I feel like, you know, like the Telltale games where it's a lot more choice based and Uh, and um speaking base that's kind of what i'm thinking it's going to be where you're trying to choose between smeagol and Gollum. you're trying to figure out which decisions he should make Mm -hmm. yeah that makes a lot of sense i was really at first you know just based on the look of it like you looking at the screenshots and stuff it it kind of reminded me a little bit of shadow of mordor and you know the, the fact that we knew it was um a stealth game i mean i generally enjoy the stealth aspect of shadow of mordor but there's other things to break it up with so i wasn't 100 percent sure you know how am i going to feel about this game if it's all stealth and that's yeah um yeah so I'm, i'm very curious to see what they do with it i did like a trailer breakdown on my channel and just went like into kind of ridiculous detail just trying to throw out ideas and stuff um <laughs> like i noticed he had like a fish hanging by his hip like uh you know attached to his <laughs> yeah that's true. cloth or whatever so i'm like I'm like is you know is this a uh you know something where you have to you have to eat find sustenance once in a while or does he use the fish as a weapon like what's going on? yeah that'd be dope that'd be awesome <laughs> <laughs> can you imagine like Gollum just throwing fish at, at yeah orc. jumps out from behind a rock screaming and mortar throws a fish at an orc. <laughs> <laughs> that would uh be kind of funny but yeah also like uh the stealth um I'm probably a third-person game is not what I would expect from the Delic games. I mean, they got a lot bigger, but I think that it's like a first time for them making um, a game like this. Also yeah. in 3D, usually they have these beautiful um, artworks or draw hand-drawn um, mm-hmm. backgrounds and so on. This um, feels pretty much a bit uh, out of the loop, not loop, but you know what I mean. It's, uh, it's yeah, it's, it's an unusual step. A little different. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Totally. And I think they did, didn't they recently announce that they were pushing it by a year? Like they yeah. brought in some other, uh, um, was it a distributor or a publisher or something involved? 
Yeah, I'm not sure who's uh, the, if that's the publisher involved. Yeah, I thought I thought they were bringing in another company. I yeah, maybe. Forgive no, me. that's that yeah. sounds about right. There was some kind of shift at a higher like management or developer yeah, level. Yeah, because I think it was it was supposed to come out in 2021, and I think they pushed yeah. it to 2022. Yeah. Um, yeah, you know, and I know like they only have the rights to the third age, you know, available for film and TV shows and and games. Yeah. Um, but. I've always thought like a Skyrim Bethesda styled first age game would be mm. so amazing where you go to Nargothrond, you go to Gondolin, Doriath, Engband. Mm. I've always thought, because like you guys say, you know, the stealth aspect, the mortar aspect, it's fun, but there is so much else in Middle Earth. I'd love yeah. to be a dwarf at the, uh, you know, at the Nernaith Arnoidiad, like running mm. out of Belagost and just fighting <laughs> a dragon. Like that sounds right. awesome. <laughs> <laughs> it has a lot of potential we have to, yeah. have to admit this like everything like a game a series or whatever exploring the first age it would be absolutely um yeah mind-blowing seeing this i guess coming to life if it's if it's done well of course but um sadly uh, i don't know could be off yes sorry i um i might i don't i don't know if i'm the only person who does this but i I get like a little bit of uh, Middle Earth vibes when I play uh, Breath of the Wild, and so sometimes I'll put on uh, like <laughs> mid the Middle Earth soundtrack oh, yeah. <laughs> when I'm That's playing awesome. Breath of the Wild. <laughs> I'm just like it's it's got that you know obviously there's like killer robot things in Breath of the Wild that aren't don't really jive, but <laughs> I I just imagine like man if they if just give me a Lord of the Rings version of Breath of the Wild and it would just be oh, yeah. so peaceful and relaxing to play yeah yeah true. it's it's funny like um you know i i know it's perhaps not the most renowned or, or well-known game in middle earth my all-time favorite game uh and favorite middle earth game is the lord of the rings online and it's because oh, i yeah. i feel like that when i'm playing that game it's open world you can walk from Fordokel to mordor and everywhere in between and do quests and the music is amazing it transports you there uh, i mean even just this morning they released a new update with content and it's i mean that is what i always love to see in games like that they care so much about the lore the stories the themes that they're telling yeah to where it's like oh i actually i'm in i'm in middle earth there's no doubt about it you know right yeah i'm gonna be diving it so i've only played uh lotro like maybe a few times a handful of times over the course of the last few years but i finally have a computer that will work with it oh yeah <laughs> I was, that's awesome i was on I was on on a Mac there for a while and like I updated the operating system like right when I was going to start playing it. And then oh, man. like it didn't work with the new operating system. And I was like, crud. But yeah, now yeah. I've got a new setup, so I'm going to dive into Lotro finally. Good, man. Uh, I've, already, I've got a dwarf created already. Oh, oh, that's awesome. Uh, do you know what we know? The dwarves are are the best. Oh yeah. Do you know what uh, server you want? You're on. If you're on Arkenstone, we can we can play together at some point. Arkenstone. <laughs> I'll write that down. I th I think awesome. I I just did whichever one was <laughs> was first. <laughs> which one was first? Which yeah. one said it was in the United States? Because I was like, hey, that that's me. Oh yeah, that's me. <laughs> <laughs> so there will be um, maybe co-op session between you guys. Yeah, that'd be Absolutely. awesome. It would be cool. Um, you know, I, I know they're in talks with, is it Athlon Games, the the game that made, or the, the developers that made Warframe, that they're making that Amazon MMO that's yeah. supposedly coming out in the next few years. Yeah, yeah. Uh, what I do you guys think, think about that? 
Uh, I'm, I'm, it, it seems kind of um, weird. I looked a bit into it for um, last episode and we talked briefly uh, about it and it's it's really strange to me. Like, as you said, um, it's developed, I think, by Athlon Games and the weird thing is that originally it's a project from China. So there's like, a, 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 I don't know, a sub-company of Tencent or so involved and then they reached out to Amazon and asked, hey, we have Athlon Games on it. Um, can you... Um, help us with it and then Amazon went on on the project they're also um, here Middle Earth Enterprises the company that holds the film rights for The Hobbit and Lord of Rings and the merchandise rights are also involved into it like it's a really weird alliance and right when it comes to rights I have no idea what, what will come out of this because Lord of the Rings um, this is not Lord of the Rings um, Amazon has like the the series right so i would originally i thought this would be might would might be tied to the to the upcoming amazon lord of rings series but it seems like considering that originally this was not connected in any shape or form that will be not yeah. the case but um i don't know maybe they change it i have no idea it's it's like a little um box of surprises um when it comes to this what can come out of it also i mean Athlon games as you said is like a competent developer, um, yeah. so there can come something. Uh, can come out, out of it something that is worth your time, but not sure. Like Amazon, on the other side, they still have to prove that they can make games. So I'm a bit skeptical too. But I don't know. I hope it's good because more Lord of Rings games are always great. Even though I have to admit, I'm not that you uh, big into MMO RPGs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, it's definitely uh, <laughs> its own kind of genre. I feel like people either love or hate it. Um, now this is, I, I'm curious, like what this new game, my first thought when the, when they said this new MMO was coming out was how it would differentiate itself from Lord of the Rings online, you know? Yeah. You know, I think they said it's going to be a few thousand, like originally, and, and like Chris said, it could just straight up be second age. Now mm. they said it was going to be a couple thousand years before the Lord of the Rings, but not okay. attached to the Amazon show originally. And I'm like, okay, so Angmar War? <laughs> like, I assume we're going to get all of the Second Age with uh, the Amazon show. So probably mm -hmm. not War of the Last Alliance. So, I, yeah, I have no idea what time zone they would, or what, what time frame they'd be in, what characters they would allow us to play in that game. Yeah, I've, I have no idea. And, and I know Amazon's uh, track record with, with games is not great. So yeah. I'm not extremely hopeful but i you know who, who knows i would love for there to be the second age game where you're running around as one of the gwythi mirdine fighting mm, you know in the yeah. war of the elves and sauron but yeah that would be pretty cool if we could get this please i hope please uh people don't screw this up amazon and friends <laughs> that would be really amazing <laughs> that would be really amazing especially like this also often gives like an opportunity for us, um, let's call us content creators, to create content. Like you could cover this, you could yeah. look into, um, compare it to the law, praise some good stuff, criticize some others. It's always um, fun and interesting content for a lot of people. So in that Absolutely. regard, I hope they don't screw up. It would be great. I mean, even if they screw up, we can still um, complain a lot. But I guess a more balanced <laughs> approach is uh, more fun, I guess. <laughs> yeah, I guess either way, we'll have content. Yeah, we will have yeah, content, exactly. I guess. <laughs> but on the other side, if they're not successful, um, oh, if they're not successful with uh, what they do, they um, 
yeah, this could probably maybe block future other games that come out. You know, if the interest in yeah. the in the franchise um, is, um, is is decreasing, that could be a problem, I guess. But I hope that I, will, I mean, won't honestly, be the case. That, that's those are my thoughts too with the Amazon show at yeah. large, which is a whole separate conversation. But like, I don't know what they have the rights to. Do they only have the rights to the appendices? If that's the case, that's not a lot. Uh, but if they if it's not a great show, it might hurt people's interest in the Silmarillion in the second age, like as, in the, as the lore. And yeah. that does not have a great trickle down effect for sure. Yeah. Exactly. I think so from what, what I've heard and read, I think, and this is all rumor obviously, but sure. there's, there's some speculation that they have rights to at least some of the material from unfinished tales. Oh, that's because awesome. there's quite, there's quite a lot about Numenor in mm -hmm. unfinished tales, um, which would, come into play um i guess the, the way i always kind of look at adaptations and um typically i'm thinking you know uh movies and games but it could or movies and tv series but it could apply to games as well um i never worry too much about tolkien especially after the massive success of lord of the rings like yeah um i mean even you know the hobbit trilogy which personally i think is better than most people give credit for Sure. But even yeah. with it having, you know, lesser uh, acclaim and, you know, not being as well received, you know, Tolkien's works are still massively popular. So I don't that's, worry, that's even true. even with the Amazon show, I'm not overly worried that, you know, like if, if they screw it up, that it's going to damage Tolkien. I don't think you can, you know, uh, the nice thing about Tolkien um, and, you know, before we went on, we were talking a little bit about star wars and tolkien the nice thing with tolkien i feel like you have all this fantastic source material um whereas like with star something like star wars it it's purely films it originated with films it's always been about the film so when you add more films to that it kind of dilutes the overall product i think more whereas we'll always have the books to go back to and the true yeah. canon of tolkien for sure that's true i i, I really like that sentiment um you know, I, I think with the Lord of the Rings like movies, I know how many fans it inspired, you know, myself yeah. included, to to look into the books, to look into yeah. the games and all of that. Um, and really that's my worry is that if if the, the show isn't great or, or if a game isn't great or something, that people are like, Man, the second age just might this must not be as good as the yeah. third, or like uh, it's only more of Lord a of the Rings opportunity. Is good. Really. Yeah, exactly. I, I don't want them to be like, oh, I'm just not going to read the Silmarillion now. Yeah. And yeah, versus if the show was good, then they would read it. Like, right. Yeah. Yeah. I also think like Tolkien already, um, what do you say it in English? Um, he stood the test of time, something like this. He, oh, yeah. he, he proved himself and he, I mean, the Lord of the Rings came out in the 50s and it's still there and still a thing. And um, I, I, they would have to screw up a lot to yeah. damage to damage it. I guess. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Cause, um, and I think, you know, the, the thing that, is, you know, if, uh, you know, if Amazon, I mean, obviously I'm not, I'm not going here predicting that it's going to be terrible, but sure, just, sure. if, if, you know, if it did come out, I hope it's not, I really yeah, hope it's amazing. <laughs> obviously we all hope it's yeah. amazing. Um, but I mean, just, looking at absolute worst case scenario from a Tolkien fan perspective, if they just, you know, totally botched it and it was, it was bad, you know, you'd have 
everyone who has anything more than a surface level knowledge of Tolkien saying this isn't really Tolkien like this this That's isn't true. a representation so like you know yes the you know the the more surface level fans i think could be turned off by it but i think um anyone who's even a fan of just the films would see the difference and say you know something doesn't line up here yeah that's true you know i just you know in 20 years from now or something i'd I'd love to be able to you know show my kids like or like oh, yeah. i watched the movies myself with my parents yeah. and all of that and to just sit down and have my kids be like let's rewatch the amazon show and it's yeah. like it's just like how at the beginning of fellowship right you hear the the, that first song kick in and Galadriel's monologue. And it's just like, Oh, I'm here. I'm back in middle so earth. Good. That's what I want for. Yeah, yeah. For the Amazon show. Absolutely. Yeah. That's what I, I feel like we'll have like a, a good feeling within the opening seconds of the <laughs> yeah. show. It'll be like, <laughs> yeah. I either feel like I'm back in middle earth or I don't. <laughs> yeah. How's, how's that for a snap judgment? You know? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> We'll be able to write our reviews in five seconds after the right? first episode. <laughs> Love it. That is true. I mean, also, when they screw up, I guess there will be a lot of us who will just call them out for it. Like, and it yeah. could oh, yeah. shift again. Like, if we probably, I guess all of us expect that when the series comes out, we get more um, attention to, to this um, particular topic in our channels. And as a result, we might, we could even notch the direction again to the to the books and say yeah in the books it's yeah. it's much better it's like this but um yeah i also heard uh, like probably just jumping to a topic that uh, matt mentioned like 10 minutes ago or something um that they have um rights that they also negotiated more rights to to it that's a rumor like and if they can have or if they have access to the unfinished tales I don't know. That's it, just such a big opportunity. There's just also yeah. so many people involved. I can't imagine that they really screw that up. I mean, True. if if they have access to some parts, at least, of the Unfinished Tales, nobody had this any time before them. So, yeah, I guess they probably know what's on the line if they screw up. Maybe the um, Tolkien estate or the Tolkien family um, won't be giving more rights or so. So I, th I think they know what's on the line there and I can't imagine they will totally screw up, at least law-wise, etc. Also, when they announced the show, they had like um, Tom Shippey on board, which is, of course, a legend mm -hmm. when it comes to Tolkien scholars. So that, that sounded good on paper. Oh, yeah. Let's hope yeah. Um, good stuff comes out of this. Let's really hope um, it, it does. But yeah, I'm really curious um, what they will do with it. I mean, The Unfinished Tales is also a very complex book with sometimes oh, yeah. several versions of um, yeah. different um, stories and some, some even contradict in, in slight ways oh, um, yeah. the, 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 what we find in the appendices of Lord of Rings. So let's see what they make out of this. I'm really curious into um, how they ship around those, let's call them little traps, law traps, <laughs> if you want. <laughs> might be interesting but i assume i mean i don't know can just briefly um talk about like the expectations what do you think um what will the show cover at least in their first season like which which aspect of the law when it comes to the second age do you have any um speculation going on there yeah any wishes? I, i've thought like kind of an anthology series where it's like three or four seasons 
and each season is kind of its own story would be amazing. So, you know, season one is, um, you know, Tar, Minutur, Elros leading his people to Numenor and kind of the foundation there, the elves starting to rebuild in Middle-earth after the Wars of the First Age. You know, second season is the Gwaithai Myrdain and the Forging of the Rings. Uh, you know, it would be kind of tough. It, this is why each season would have to be kind of its own stories, because you would have men and elves over 3,000 years. So yeah. you can have the same elven characters. You can't have mm -hmm. the same men characters because they they died 1,800 years ago, you know? Right. Um, so, you know, the second season is the Forging of the Rings. That one ends with uh, Sauron forging the one. The third season is the War of the Elves and Sauron, kind of Numenor coming into Middle-earth. Fourth season, Downfall of Numenor, and then maybe fifth season, War of the Last Alliance. Like, I, something like that yeah. would, be, mm -hmm. would be amazing. That's yeah, I think, I think I've, I've put uh, probably an embarrassing amount of time into, like, thinking about this through <laughs> thinking <laughs> thinking through my mind like you know uh, during the summer like every time i would mow the yard i'd be like okay so let's see here so season one um yeah so i love I, it i think uh yeah i, th I think yoiston is right on with uh i could i could very easily see the entire series i think they've th i've heard thrown out the the five seasons thing i could very easily see the end of season five being the war of the last alliance yeah um i actually I, I think in one of my videos i said that i would love it if they just ended with uh elrond yelling Isildur! Oh, <laughs> that would be amazing <laughs> just like cut to black i think that yeah. would be an awesome way to end it um but i i i have a hard time thinking that they would wait beyond the first season for uh the creation of the rings just because that's yeah. something that's so familiar. So that's going to be something from a, you know, marketing perspective, you know, yeah, obviously as a, as a Tolkien fan, I'd be like, um, we're going to film everything that yeah. ever happened. <laughs> Aldarion and Arendus need at yes. least 20 episodes. Like. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so like, so my, so I have to step outside of my, my yeah. Tolkien self for a little bit and say like, okay, what will people, you know, casual fans actually watch? Yeah. Um, so I, I'm kind of thinking that maybe season one ends with the sack of Eregion, Um, after Sauron has forged the ring and, you know, he attacks uh, Eregion, And then like your, your season one kind of cliffhanger is like, he's, you know, gonna try to just take over all of middle earth and how are, yeah. you know, the remaining elves, Elrond and Gilgalad and the Numenorians, how are they going to stand against that? Um, that's just, just a theory. I like that. <laughs> you know? I, yeah, I definitely like that a lot. That's a great place to end the season for sure. I would say an, an, an anthology series on the Silmarillion would be amazing. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I've always thought a trilogy of movies, Baron and Luthien, Children of Huron and Fall of Gondolin would be, mm. oh, that'd be amazing. But <laughs> yeah. let's face it. We'll take, we would take anything from the first series. Like, you oh could, Yeah. Yeah. You could say, here's an animated children's cartoon, and we would still watch it. Dude, that'd, be a, that'd be a crazy children's <laughs> cartoon, like the kid right? slayings and stuff. <laughs> <laughs> they just have to tone it down. Like, yeah, yeah, be yeah. Like, <laughs> be like some little five-year-old you know version of it would be like yeah. they stole my ships yeah yeah exactly <laughs> gave, gave me a boo-boo <laughs> oh man 
Yeah, that could, that could there work. There you go. The Kinsling. That could be a good children's book. Let's do a <laughs> children's book. Mostly just cuts to black and we just see everything else around the battle. <laughs> I think, Matthew, um, what, did you watch on your channel some of the unusual um, Tolkien media? Did you also um, check... Um, the the, the um, what's it called the animated uh, film from the 70s for example the hobbit one or um so i i've watched i've basically watched the ones that aren't um not the non like rankin and bass uh or um what's the other uh bakshi yeah i haven't watched those on the channel because those are obviously um copyright and everything but i've i've found some really obscure um adaptations like there there was one i can't remember off the top of my head it's like um i want to say it was it was made in like south america somewhere or something wow <laughs> um, that's awesome but it, it's an animated one that's only it's only like 10 minutes long and um i don't know if this is the one you're talking about of the hobbit where they just changed a ton of stuff like smaug <laughs> is is named slag um and oh man um and Bilbo and Thorin are the only two. It's Bilbo, Thorin, and Gandalf. And Gandalf is a wizard in a tower for some reason. <laughs> um, and and they go to to rescue the princess Mika from Slag Whoa. the Dragon. And they use the Arkenstone as, sorry, spoiler alert, in case anyone was <laughs> waiting to watch I'm on this the edge cartoon. Of my seat. This cartoon that's been out for like 60 years. But... Um, <laughs> But they they actually use the Arkenstone as the an arrowhead, and they kill Smaug with uh or Slag, sorry, with the arrow <laughs> Slag made from the Arkenstone, and then Bilbo and Princess Mika get married and live happily ever after. That that like brings it, it triggered some memories from me that I don't think I've ever talked about on on uh, my channel. With there's a, a play that I saw. It it was actually done at the university that I went to before I went there. And it was okay. The Hobbit, like the theatrical edition of The Hobbit. The first mm -hmm. half before they got to the Misty Mountains was actually pretty good from what I remember. And then after that, it became kind of like that cartoon. This is yeah. where I don't know if like that the memory was repressed because <laughs> you had like, I think Thorne was the one to kill Smaug and he like ran a sword through the dragon. And again, this was on stage. So this was all, yeah. oh man, it was... Yeah, you had like character changes, you know, name changes like that cartoon. Maybe it was built mm -hmm. based off the cartoon and not the book. <laughs> that would actually make Man. a lot of sense. <laughs> yeah, so I I just looked it up. It was it was made in 1967. Oh. Um and it 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 sounded like if I if memory serves, it uh it was one of those things where someone had the rights to the Hobbit and they were going to lose the rights, like they were going to revert back to Tolkien and the publisher or whatever, um, unless they made a film. And so he uh, made this film. It's 11 minutes long and just quickly and as cheaply as possible so that he could sell the rights back to Tolkien instead of just losing the rights. Wow. Whoa. Yeah. That is, so yeah, I, I've got a couple others on my channel. Yeah, if you look at some <laughs> of my past live streams, I've also got like a, uh, I think there was a, a Finnish yeah, version of like uh, The Hobbit or Lord of the Rings. I can't remember which one. Um, 
yeah you I, I forgot that you did those uh because that was like a year ago or so like yeah it's it was like last summer that i did oh, okay those. but yeah there's there's some obscure adaptations that it was a lot of fun to do those on live streams because <laughs> i i didn't watch them ahead of time i was like all right we're gonna watch this let's see what <laughs> that's happens awesome. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome oh man so shall we um speaking of um unusual things there's also like an unusual thing uh, upcoming you probably know what i'm talking about the um nature of middle earth book mm, yeah and um, we t talked about with uh, dan uh, voice of geekdom shout outs to you man mm -hmm. um last episode um that this might be potentially one of the last publications with tolkien material in it that they are left ever basically maybe that is oh, the oh. last pieces that were not published before although we've said that many times before yeah that's about 20 true years that so. is true <laughs> but you could be right i don't know how many notes this man wrote throughout his life <laughs> but he's written he wrote a lot of notes it's amazing yeah it, it's amazing it really is so this might be one of the last um history of middle earth like books that we could get it's really mm -hmm. Uh, unusual. What are your expectations? What do you expect um, there to be uh, in this book? Uh, so last year, I, I made a video on the Valian years and how elves age. Most of that material came from, I believe, the peoples of Middle-earth, one of like the last books in the history of Middle-earth saga. And it was like, it's it's really, again, these are like really kind of obscure notes. Super fascinating, it, you know, the how years were measured for instance before the sun and the moon it was like it's some equation for every like year nine and a half i think yeah yeah it's like 9.587 i think yeah something like that <laughs> <laughs> and and then you have to calculate that into the elven so any elf who was like born you know in 1050 of the years of the trees you have to take how long you know how many years they had in the years of the trees multiply it by that and then you have the actual amount of our years that they were alive in. It's super, it was super complicated. One of the hardest videos I've ever, ever made because I'm just not a math minded <laughs> individual. <laughs> um, so with this book, I'm curious to see if it expands on that, right? So uh, kind of the book overview here, it says from sweeping themes as profound as elvish immortality and reincarnation and the powers of the Valar, to more earthbound subjects of the lands and beasts of Numenor, the geography of the rivers and beacon hills of Gondor, and even who had beards. Uh, so it's going to be very specific details, yeah. and, and I'm excited for that. Uh, who knows? Maybe that last that last part actually does catch my attention because we know Kirdan <laughs> had had a beard. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. What other elf had a beard? That's um, the um, father of. Let me just think about. Uh, the, uh, oh, the, it's the, the, the it's the father-in-law of Feanor. Right? Yeah, the, the father of the wife of Fianor, exactly. Mm -hmm. What was his name? Um, uh, like Machtan or something like this. Yeah, 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 that sounds right. Yeah. or something like that. Yeah, Machtan. I'm not sure if it's Mach. No, it must be, it would be weird. It would be Machtan, but whatever. <laughs> something like this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, Machtan. I'm, yep. I'm really excited, you know, to kind of go off of what Joysen said there. Um, anytime. You know, it, it has it doesn't happen very often, but the idea of getting 
new Tolkien material to read that nobody's read before is yeah. pretty amazing. You know, I get excited about like a new illustrated edition when <laughs> it's like, hey, you know, Ted Naismith, John Howe, Alan Lee, or any combination of them have uh, done more artwork for this book. I'm like, all right, oh, let's yeah. do this. You yeah, know? <laughs> I'm like, buying the me, largest print. <laughs> yeah, give, give me some, give me some pictures to stare at and soak in. So like, the idea that we have, uh, you know, new words and knowledge to soak in is even more exciting. Um, yeah, I wonder, you know, with the growing beards, if that's just talking about elves or if we're going to go into. I think it's I think know, it's everybody dwarf, like dwarf women, hobbits, you know, <laughs> that's yeah. awesome. I know, for instance, I'm sure I'm sure like they'll mention Prince Imrahil because it was like I think it was pointed out in the Return of the King that he couldn't really grow facial hair because yeah. of his mm -hmm. elvish lineage. And um, so it, it's really specific details. But yeah, yeah. Uh, like you said, Matt, it's that's really fascinating. Honestly, it's. It's new content and that's yeah. going to be amazing to cover. And the, uh, the one that caught my, you know, on the blurb that describes what's in there, uh, the nature of the Valar. Yeah. Is interesting. You yeah. Know? Cause when, when you, when I first read the title, the nature of middle earth, I thought like trees and yeah. birds and plants, beasts, yeah. yeah, birds, birds and beasts. And it's like, no, the nature is in like the essence, you know, or the, you know, how things work in yeah. middle earth. Yeah. And the, um, the there is the um, there will be a German translation of the book, which also um, astonished me. I did not expect that, because some of the uh, more specific books I think don't have a German translation. However, this one gets one. The German title is um, uh, "Natur und Wesen von Mittelerde," which translates to "Nature and yeah, Essence or Being of Middle Earth itself," something like this. Oh. So oh, it's a bit awesome. more complicated uh, translated, but uh, probably um, it's. Uh, yeah, the nature it part. Clears, yeah, it clears yeah, the things it up. Clears yeah. it up a little bit. It, yeah. it does. Yeah. So it, it might be more correct for us to say the essence of Middle Earth, like, mm. like the two of you said. It's kind of yeah. because, yeah. I mean, the Elvish reincarnation—that's always been a fascination to me since they're yeah. bound to the world of Middle Earth, but men can just leave. Because um, mm -hmm. we know Fanor was eventually reincarnated before the Dagor Dagoroth or after the Dagor Dagoroth. Uh, so he could present the Silmarils to Yavanna. But it's, yeah, that's amazing. Like, we'll, hopefully we'll get yeah. more details about all that kind of stuff. Yeah, I mean... Man, could you could you imagine if we got, like, uh, a scene or dialogue or something of Glorfindel um, with his reincarnation? That's one that's always... <sighs> I always think of when I think of Elven reincarnation, because I get so many questions on... Um, I'm doing a... Planning a video right now script in a video on Glorfindel because uh, I get the question so often when I reference Glorfindel in my first age videos and then in my third age videos, people are like, who, what's the deal here? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's so, yeah, I'm curious, like if we got if we got some more, you know, I th he's like one of those that's not mentioned a ton, but when he's mentioned, he's really important. Yeah, yeah. exactly. It draws your attention for sure. Yeah. He's, I guess, also like a fan favorite. also did a video um, on him like last summer or something yeah i think in august and that was also very uh, successful which i did not expect but um i won't complain and oh, yeah. that is um <laughs> yeah also one of my favorite um side characters of the elf so i like him a lot and yeah you're right that would be really amazing seeing what he did in um in uh, valinor and who had, did he have contact with it's like only mentioned in the peoples of middle earth that he um was seen um as as an equal among the Mayar, it's a bit yeah um, yeah uh, worded differently. Oh, but sorry. yeah, 
Yeah, no problem. Done, boss. Uh, done. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I, uh, I think my favorite elf of all the Legendarium is Finrod Felagund. Yeah, um, you can see that. And he was, also, he was also reincarnated. Um, yeah, true. In Valinor. And, and hopefully we get more about him as well. Yeah, that would be also great. Like, uh, more about Finrod would also be uh, re appreciated. It's also one of my favorite <laughs> characters yeah. in the elf <laughs> with uh, Kirdan. <laughs> Oh, yeah. Yeah, Kirdan is my second favorite as well. <laughs> he also is a guy with a beard, so um, oh, he's yeah. also unusual that in that regard. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That is um, interesting. Yeah, I when it comes to the uh, Valar, I expect maybe something, even though there is already a bit about it, but, for example, um, all the uh, Valar have... Um, or not, I think, I'm not sure if all of them, but most have, like, a brother... Or a sister, mm. they are yeah, siblings yeah. often. Some are married and so on. I maybe Spouses, could imagine yeah. that Tolkien probably wrote a bit about this, like some essay, some notes, or something that was not published yet. That uh, maybe goes a bit into the direction covering maybe these relationships. I only know that, um, basically, when um, Eru thought them into life, I don't know how to phrase it differently. Um, yeah. He imagined him, those uh, Valar as um, yeah as, as siblings in in some cases, and that is mm -hmm. um, why they they have this being. But maybe there's a bit more to it, and um, also there's the uh, long question about the um, origin of the elves, and that's the there's the story with the three fathers of the elves, which is, uh, in my opinion, not canon, and even among the elves, not considered really canon. With I always forgot the name Enel, Tata, and Something with yes. I, email or something uh, like this. Is it yeah, In Ingwe, Finwe, and yeah, that uh, are the then the later kings, um, the the uh, Ingwe, Finwe, and Elwe. Yeah, Elwe. Yeah. That are then the later ambassadors, but that's also like in the uh, history of Middle Earth uh, books, like a, a story that is a different version of of this, where um, they are the unbegotten, so the elves that have no parents, and. Oh yeah. They they awoke and like 144 elves awoke and um, mm -hmm. each man also had like uh, a wife that was waking uh, next to him and the, these these three were the the three elves that awoke first and d mm -hmm. d if you read a bit into the the family trees and some hints here and there then you can come to the conclusion that for example Elwe can't be unbegotten because he has a brother, so they he must have parents. And some make the argument that because the uh, Valar have um, also siblings, siblings, but no parents in the classical um, sense, except for Eru, I guess, but that's true for the elves in, in some sense too, um, that they also could have been thought as, as, um, as siblings when they were uh, created, and created. the story is not really um, true, but... Yeah, sure. there's a lot of discussion, sure, some things going on about this uh, weird story, and yeah, maybe we learn a bit, little bit more about this. So that's that's one very specific topic or to few topics I would love to learn more about. Also, the beard, yeah. uh, the beard thing is also interesting. <laughs> it's always good. Yeah, that's interesting. I haven't put much thought into into that and and what the relationships between the siblings signify. Mm -hmm. That's really interesting. I hope we do get more on that. Yeah, I've I've always been really the the only one that I really put much thought into was the the fact that Melkor and Manwe are considered yeah. brothers. Yeah, like that just seemed like such a uh, a strong you know 
historically speaking, such a, a strong uh, theme or trope, I guess you could call it, you know, in the storytelling, yin-yang. the, you know, yeah. yeah, these, these brothers that are diametrically opposed, you know? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Also looked at, and, oh, sorry. Oh, so, no, you're good. I was, was going to say like, and reading more about Tolkos, I'm always about that. So yeah, <laughs> it's, it's really fun. I have to admit, it's really fun to read about. <laughs> so you always said it would just crush you if this book was like uh tolkas yeah he was actually kind of a wimp and oh. uh, ignore that other stuff he's actually uh, yeah i wouldn't regard it as canon <laughs> yeah there's always that card you can pull in tolkien's universe which we, can be a plus yeah <laughs> we just discovered this note that tolkien wrote on a napkin in his last year of life that said tolkas was actually a, a wimp <laughs> no, that would crush me. <laughs> that would be really uh, unfortunate. But I don't expect a finding like this. <laughs> Maybe the um, writer, um, uh, uh, Hofstetter, is also a fan of Tolkien, so we would not include it. Oh, yeah, yeah, he's just rip up the napkin. <laughs> no one ever needs to know. And and it's interesting that you brought up the, the editor, because, you know, once upon a time, this would have been um, Christopher Tolkien doing yes. this. So... It's really, it's really cool that uh, Carl Hostadter was able to get these notes, was able to, mm-hmm. to secure them and be like, oh, there's a book in here, just like Christopher yeah. Tolkien did. Yeah, I think I, I get the impression that he was, uh, you know, handpicked by yeah. the family, you know, to to carry this on. And, you know, I've always uh, said I think there was some recent discussion on Twitter or someplace that. You know, I'm better off not spending time on probably. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it was talking about, uh, you know, the uh, expiration of, of copyright after author's death and stuff like mm. that. And, you know, how, you know, if if Middle Earth was in uh, public domain, how many stories could be published? But um, for me, that, that the very thought of that kind of makes me cringe a little bit. You know, it's me like too. it's like I would I would love like, you know, if the the Tolkien estate deemed it, you know, appropriate or, you know, they found someone that they thought was right to take some of these stories and expand on them, like Mm -hmm. take Fall of Gondolin and make a full narrative novel out of it. You know, if, you know, if they said, hey, you know, whether it's Carl Hostetter or somebody else, like that's how I would want, you know, the next phase of Middle Earth to be would be a handpicked person by the Tolkien family to expand on it not like yeah a free for all you know let's have writer from Tumblr it's kind of yeah. yeah it's kind of like <laughs> Sherlock Holmes where there's like you know eight tv shows going on at once and yeah you know people can just do whatever <laughs> no that's a great point I've, I've I've actually thought about that recently um when I was going back through the unfinished tales and I of anyone I imagine Christopher Tolkien like I, I would have wanted if I wanted mm-hmm. anybody to write more stories to Absolutely. kind of finish off those, I would have wanted it to be him because he understood, you know, he was the child <clears throat> whose father pulled him these stories. And I think he would have done a great job in finishing the fall of Gondolin and kind of doing all these things that mm-hmm. Tolkien, like he's of anyone the closest to knowing how Tolkien would have wanted these stories to go, you know? Yeah. And I, th- I mean, I, I always think of uh, how much I love the book Children of Hurin. Mm-hmm. Um, 
which is, you know, uh, I, I think some people are surprised to learn, you know, when they look at like the books Baron and Luthien and Fall of Gondolin, which are just, you know, kind of presenting it for from a more academic perspective, like, okay, here's one version that he wrote in this year. Here's yeah. another version. Like Children of Hurin is a, just a straight narrative story. Yeah. And um, I don't know. I can't remember off the top of my head how much of that, like if if that was all J.R.R. Tolkien's writings or if like Christopher Tolkien had to fill in some gaps here and there or how that a good question. I'd, I'd have to look back at that. But at, at one time, I thought that he had had to kind of like piece together stuff. Um, I, I think he he kind of did. Oh, uh, sorry. Yeah, just go ahead. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, I think he did, especially when you look at the Silmarillion, which was published after Tolkien's death. Mm -hmm. um i think he did have have some kind of names to change and some things to just just to make it coherent to make it make sense so i think he did that with the children of Hurin as well mm. and um i mean yeah he he even says uh with the silmarillion that there were still published mistakes um yeah. such yeah. as as oradreth's lineage or uh i believe gilgalad's lineage as well yeah it was, was another mistake yeah so um yeah it's interesting but i i doubt that that mistake was christopher tolkien's fault even though he kind of from what i can tell put that on himself it's just probably you have all these names and these lineages and you're like okay yeah when <laughs> no. he um formed the silmarillion he had not access to all the materials so i haven't worked through yeah. um, all of them because there's sometimes they are i don't know with a scholar or something and then he couldn't use them to form the uh, silmarillion and that uh of course generated some problems like for example as you mentioned um, in, in the Silmarillion um, uh, Fingon the uh, son of uh, Fingolfin is the is the father of uh, Gil-galad but um, yeah, yeah. later in, Tolkien revealed that he put him into uh, Orodreth um, family tree and to uh, I think Christopher Tolkien comments on it that maybe this is one of the lineages where he should have kept um, the parentage secret, secret uh, yeah. uh, because it's just very messy um, going around like this but uh, Fingon would also not work because then um, Turgon would not have become hiking of uh, the, the next hiking after Fingon mm, yeah. I, I always like the idea that Gilgalad was the son of Orodreth and Orodreth was the son of is it Ignor um, one, of the, one of the sons of Finarfin because it's so far removed from the sons of Fingolfin to where it's like, you saw how many high kings of the Noldor get killed uh, to where mm -hmm. it's just like, okay, who's who's next in line? Oh, the, the second cousin removed? Like, sure, yeah. you're, you're next because no, because the first age was so brutal on our kindred. Like, okay, you're the next closest one we've got. Everyone else has been slain pretty much. Yeah. It just kind of speaks to that sorrow. Um, yeah. yeah. But it's stuff like that, the ambiguous nature of, of lineage, of characters, of names. It's, I'm sure that was a lot to take on yeah, in the yeah. editing it's, process. It's, especially, it's impressive. Yeah, especially when you have like character names that he that Tolkien kept, but just changed who they were. Because I think originally Finrod was supposed to be one of the sons of Finway, but yeah, then exactly. he changed it to he be He was the yeah, like father the of uh, Galadriel. <laughs> yeah, yeah, not the brother. <laughs> so, exactly. Yeah. And there's just a lot of things going on. Like uh, also, some some of the work simply did not fit. And uh, Christopher Tolkien with the Silmarillion wanted to make it fit to the um, 
uh, to the Lord of the Rings without changing the Lord of the Rings. I guess if Tolkien yeah. would have finished the Silmarillion himself, there would be a second edition with some changes for the Lord of the Rings too. That is, in my opinion, not very unlikely. And since he could not simply do this, it would probably generate an outcry. He had to carefully yeah. select which pieces actually fit the Lord of the Rings the best and maybe made some changes. The only one of the bigger changes um, I know that um, Christopher Tolkien did at least for the Silmarillion was um, how um, 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 Thingol um, died in Doriath. With the, the, the whole story with the dwarves was a bit different uh, in the or original intended version and th that is where Christopher Tolkien had to make some changes. I'm not sure oh, how it wa was in um, in um, in the children of Hurin, what changes are there? I have to admit, I'm I'm not sure. I assume he could because that was, I guess, always a re relatively fleshed out story. So maybe there the piecing together worked um, a lot better. That's fascinating. Yeah, yeah. It's it's really interesting how many notes Tolkien yeah. <laughs> Tolkien wrote. <laughs> he was really um, obsessed with his works and with the detail. But what is I guess. At least when it comes to me, that's what I really, really like um, yeah. about him. Yeah, absolutely. And that's where you just see all these parallel or there's these parallelisms between characters and events and yeah. ages. After reading it for 60 years, you're like, oh, that's new. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, that's not an accident. You know, that's that's a feature. Um, and that's where we can get we can get 12, uh, you know, history of Middle Earth. Yeah. volumes and then also this new book and then also the fall of gondolin uh, children of Horin, and uh, mm, baron un and luthien unfinished tales and so on it's unfinished tales the exactly <laughs> the letter oh man <laughs> letters then there are also the um, poems from tolkien himself where also some law yeah. notes are inside i made like a video of a video series about um where i analyze the book and make make some comparisons to the films at times and um uh, the Lord of the Rings, and uh, that's for example yeah. when um, Gildor uh, meets the um, the hobbits. And I read mm -hmm. somewhere, I think it was on Tolkien Gateway, that um, they um, came from from the um, from from what is it called? Emun Bereid, where the um, pa Palantir is uh, stored by the uh, elves. Yeah, yeah, the Elosterion stone. Yeah, right? exactly, the Elosterion stone. That's I couldn't come up with the name, <laughs> and um, they, they came. <laughs> I from don't know there. how I could. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Well, you're also a very knowledgeable law person, so of course you Thanks. can. Thanks. But sometimes, though, it's like I'll be talking about, oh, yeah, uh, Arome's horse, Nahar. And it's like, how did I remember that? I don't know. <laughs> yeah, some, some names go easier than others, I have to admit. <laughs> and, however, and the, I try to find out um, where this is because it's not mentioned in The Lord of the Rings where they uh, came from. It's actually in one of the, I think it's in The Road Goes On, uh, Ever On, is um, the poem collection there's like a little law section about exactly where they came from it's uh, also from tolkien so i guess it's canon and uh but it's sometimes it's, it's just so hidden the law and the notes where you can find them it's really really impressive That's yeah it. absolutely I mean, yeah what a, what other created world has you know 12 soon to be 13 volumes you know like history of middle earth where it's explaining not only bits and pieces of the world but how the world was created yeah there's yeah there's nothing like it it's insane it's really i mean oh, yeah it's also difficult to to keep like an, an overview of all of it it's, it's just so much information and sometimes yeah. uh, you overlook something it's uh, 
uh, really impressive. And then as we yeah, learned, there are also some other things like, um, uh, what's it called? Oh yeah, here my trusty mod mentioned it here in chat. Um, the uh, Parma Elder Lamberon, I think it's called, and the Vineyard thing was, which has also Tolkien um, notes in them about the languages and uh, some words and so on, but also some story notes here and there, which is uh, really impressive. And I think... Um, uh, Hostetter was also involved creating them. I think Dan mentioned last episode that he's an expert on on Elvish and uh, the languages, etc. So I expect some uh, insights there too, which is always interesting to get like these insights from a from a true expert. Like you said, it's just so impressive how much there is, how much detail there is. As always, what fascinates me is you look mm -hmm. into um, Tolkien's. Um, uh, world and his his works and you can ask okay why is that who's that character how is, how are these events connected and you always almost always get an answer to that that is just so um, astonishing to me and even though we I guess we make videos on YouTube for quite some time and have done a lot of reading and research uh, to do so and we always read like a passage and notice at least that's for me the case notice something new I haven't noticed yep. before <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah every time um yeah and it's you know it's it really speaks to it that the world of middle earth of arda was created out of a song out of music and music has themes right themes that recur choruses that come up again and uh go back down into something new and that's kind of how it is in middle earth's lore where something in the third age will connect all the way back to the first age or the years of the trees or the years of the lamps and it's again it's like a song right it's it's truly uh, you know, and Tolkien, I, I don't think that's an accident because, you know, that's how old stories, old Norse tales and mythologies mm -hmm. were told is in songs and around a campfire. And, and it's always somewhat circular in its themes. You always have things that recall or call forward to other themes. And um, yeah, you know, Middle Earth is, is really just one big song. And that's why Tom Bombadil in my opinion, it's like he, he might be Iru, he might be the personification of the music. Yeah. Um, it's really fascinating. There are a lot of yeah. uh, theories about uh, what he could be. Yeah, and, and I it, think, yeah. um, sorry, go ahead. Yeah, no, go ahead. I just. Um, um, I was just going to follow up with, you know, what Yoistin was saying, how things, you know, echo from the first age and you feel the effects or references, you know, clear into the third age. I think. One of my favorite examples of that is the Ring of Barahir. Um, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. Like, and I, I recently, you know, as I was uh, listening through on the uh, audiobook or reading reading a passage out of uh, Fellowship of the Ring, I, I got to thinking, you know, here's Aragorn, who now has the Ring of Barahir that originally belonged to Galadriel's brother. Mm -hmm. And like here he is in in Lorien like this is you know a descendant so far beyond you know how many <laughs> generations from from uh Barahir and from Baron and you know that ring originally belonged to Galadriel's brother and like it's it's not anywhere referenced you know in in that passage that you know Galadriel acknowledges that or that it enters mm -hmm. her thoughts at all but you do kind of wonder just because this this world is so amazing and feels so real you can just initiate you can just automatically you know 
think in your mind like oh how would galadriel react to that you know like seeing the ring again that her brother used to possess you know that she probably hasn't seen in you know thousands of years yeah that is uh very true that's a great point yeah it's just um so much just about this ring you can just talk for like an hour there's so much detail about it yeah and there's all kinds of stuff like that you know that's kind of my my overall point there's just there's just so many things like that yeah you know you talk about the palantiri and you know just all these things that grab a random place yeah right yeah and they'll they'll all connect back i mean i i always find it you know so fascinating uh the story of elros and elrond and mm. how the two of them would go on to influence their respective kindreds but it started with the two of them and started with their father and their mother um who saved the first age and who saved yeah. the world um so yeah it's so amazing yeah you grab anything and there's a deep lore behind it it's mm-hmm. it's incredible yeah that is uh that is very very true um it makes it really fun for those of us who really nerd out on this stuff because you know <laughs> yeah. you get someone who's a casual you know like a friend who's just kind of casually into lord of the rings and you're you're like if you're watching the movie they ask hey what's what's the deal with that thing and it's like you could easily pause the movie and spend the next half an hour telling yeah. them about an item a sword or a ring oh, yeah. or something or some some trivia behind did you know that vigo broke his toes when oh, he kicked yeah. that helmet yeah that's the classic <laughs> There's that. There's that as well <laughs> um but speaking of the movies uh i know we wanted to talk a little bit about the 4k editions oh yeah um, i forgot that sorry <laughs> no you're good i uh i think it's interesting because when we talk about detail and we talk about the 4k i think that really maximized how Lord of the Rings and The Hobbit should be watched. Because I remember, you know, going through watching The Fellowship of the Ring on the um, on 4K and Frodo wakes up in Rivendell after uh, all of the, you know, the flight to the Ford and all of that. And I remember looking at the background because it's more focused everywhere versus just on like the characters yeah. and seeing the, the uh, carven bed frame uh, yeah. that Frodo was lying on. It was it, it was like a statue of Luthien above him with her arms outstretched as he was like waking up. And I was like, well, I assume it's Luthien, but it could be just an elf maiden. But I, like that kind of, so somebody carved that. Somebody made yeah. that, you know? Um, I can't remember. I think I think it might be Elwing. It could be. I can't remember. I read somewhere who it was, but now, oh, I, okay. now I'm second guessing. Myself. I think I, I think had... It's e- Luthien or Elwing? I can't remember which one. That's amazing. I See? think I mentioned that in a video of mine too, but I, I tried to find out, but I could not find like any comment on a creator of it. And so I start speculating. I could always also imagine, I think it was uh, Este because she was the uh, Valar oh, of Healing. Yeah. But it was like, there was some, some detail on it where I thought, okay, this might be connected. But you, all the guesses you... Um, or what you said is right could be elwing would which would which would make totally sense it could also be like luthien or something um Uh, i just interrupted uh, matt i think oh no i was just saying the the carving thing (laughs) (laughs) yeah yeah i mean even even next to the bed uh you see like the elvish i believe i believe there was at least an elvish drink there next to frodo Mm -hmm. on like the nightstand maybe some food as well and i'm like yeah somebody put time into that and somebody made that just so it could be in the background of uh, you know a couple seconds of a scene 
and never see it again, but it, it's still a part of that deep world building that Jackson even took into, uh, into the movies. You know, I, I recall another scene from the two towers where uh, you look behind Elrond as he's ta- talking to Arwen about the death of, of Aragorn and how, you know, the doom of men is different mm-hmm. than the doom of elves. And uh, you see on the tapestry behind, you see the sun and the moon with two trees, the, the two trees of Valinor underneath them, kind of with their branches encircling the sun and the moon. Um, so, like, that is amazing. Yeah. <laughs> somebody wove that. Somebody made that tapestry. And it's like, what? Yeah, yeah, that kind it, of stuff. It, yeah, that yeah. 4, 4K is the best for that. It, for yeah, it, that. yeah, there's so many things like that. And another thing that I picked up on with the 4K um, is the detail on clothing that i had never noticed before like some of some of the clothes uh you can pick up you know i think uh for example i think when frodo wakes up in rivendell he's wearing an all-white shirt and i had never really noticed that there's a pattern on that shirt i mean i'm not surprised there's a pattern but like you could see like how intricate it was and how elvish it looked and it's stuff like that that just really pops or, you know, these big, wide, epic landscape shots. You can see like every boulder in place, you know, obviously they didn't place all the boulders, but it's still <laughs> the level of detail is insane. And it just makes it you is. appreciate the artistry even more. Yeah, it's totally true. That's just so much detail in those films. And I think that is also needed to make like a, a, an adaption that is let's call it worthy of what Tolkien did, if you know what I mean. Like, um, there's just... Tolkien also put a lot of detail into his works, and then, uh, of course, oh, yeah. it would totally uh, make sense to also put the same detail in if, in, in, in an adaption, just to um, make it basically uh, fitting, if you know what I mean. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I guess to t- tie it back into into star wars even a little bit i know george lucas when he was making those films he says it's like poetry it rhymes right and that's mm-hmm. that's exactly right with yeah middle earth you know everything can be called back to everything else it all rhymes it all feels very intrinsically connected you know um both in the movies that peter jackson made and and obviously yeah tolkien's books now if you're talking star wars then you know, the uh um sequel trilogy must have been when the instruments broke i guess and yeah that's when melkor came in with his okay. discord and like <laughs> <laughs> ruined the sun <laughs> <laughs> oh man <laughs> so oh yeah you oh yeah so i was gonna say uh if we wanted to talk about that you know to continue that star wars uh middle oh. earth discussion mm. um yeah, I mean, it's it's interesting because I, I think, you know, S- Star Wars and, and um, forgetting his name, but I think Matt, actually, I think you shared this on Twitter. Uh, the actor who played o- uh, Obi-Wan, it's on the tip of my tongue. In, Ewan uh, McGregor? No, no, in, uh, in the, epi- the uh, oh, original uh, Obi-Wan. Alec Guinness. Yeah, Alec Guinness, yeah. how he was inspired by the character of Gandalf and creating. Yeah. <laughs> Isn't... Oh, that's amazing. <laughs> yeah, it's fantastic. <clears throat> and um, it makes so much sense you know the oh, yeah the obi-wan arc from the original trilogy it's very you know obviously similar in a way you know he comes back from the dead you know that's the first yeah. uh the first you know if you 
kind of forget what you know about Star Wars and watched from A New Hope on, then that would be the first time you'd see a Force ghost and, you know, coming back from the dead to, to you know, be a further mentor figure. Uh, it is very, very Gandalf-esque. Yeah, yeah. And I, I think, I mean, you know, there's definitely a conversation about archetypes to be had and and, mm-hmm. and um, how literature inspires other other literature. But it's it's definitely clear with the the hero's journey with you know everything from frodo coming back to the shire to free it from uh, saruman mm-hmm. uh, to luke skywalker coming back to tatooine to free to free that part from like job of the hut you know that. like there yeah. are <laughs> definitely those connections to be made yeah. uh, another one i talked to a clueless fangirl uh, helen about about this but there's actually a really good parallel to be drawn between Turin Turambar and Anakin Skywalker during the prequels. Mm, um, Because, you know, Turin returns to uh, Dor Loman after the Easterlings have, have taken over just like how Anakin returns to Tatooine in episode two, he slaughters the Easterlings. He slaughters the, the Tusken Raiders, Mm -hmm. Um, you know, and it's this, this kind of fall of a hero or, or even a tragic hero, because you understand why they're kind of doing what they're doing. Except in the end, Turin chooses kind of the light. He chooses to kill the dragon, and Anakin Skywalker chooses to join the dragon, join Palpatine, yeah. become, <laughs> nice, yeah. you know. Um, it's that kind of, you know, whether that was intentional or not, I highly, I mean, I, I doubt that that was an intentional story, uh, like, parallel, but it totally yeah. could have been, you know. I will say one of my favorite uh, examples of like a circular nature of inspiration is, um, you know, on the ice planet Hoth, you know, you have the uh, um, the walkers, the Imperial walkers. Yeah. And they're very reminiscent of the Mumakil from uh, <laughs> Return of the King. And like and then, you know, I, th- I think I've read somewhere that, he, you know, that uh, George Lucas was inspired by Lord of the Rings and like that might have mm-hmm. inspired that moment, you know, having these giant walkers as they had giant elephants. And then in turn, awesome. the scene in Return of the King that, you know, Peter Jackson's adaptation is very reminiscent of Star Wars, you know, how it was shot and everything. So, um, and you even have, you know, uh, Legolas playing Luke Skywalker, taking one down single-handedly um, <laughs> in, the, in the movie. Never... So like, funny i never put like thought yeah. about that but that's so true that's so funny yeah it's kind of a cool you know uh if if that indeed was how it was uh you know inspired from tolkien to lucas to peter jackson yeah you know? yeah a good theory if nothing else. that's definitely a good theory i mean um there is i made also like a little video about star wars and um um tolkien how the, the law is connected a bit and even though Star Wars has like a ton of inspirations, um, there's mm-hmm. an interesting uh, detail that when uh, Lucas wrote the original um, uh, the script for Star Wars, when it still was called The Star Wars, and I think uh, mm. Luke uh, Skywalker was uh, also still called uh, Starkiller. Starkiller. Yeah. Wow. In, in one of those very early drafts, there is a, the, the dialogue between him and Obi-Wan. It's exactly the dialogue um or referencing exactly the dialogue between bilbo and gandalf it's uh, mm. really like like um <laughs> it's, it's uh really oh. fun there's a good morning one in case people uh, oh. wonder that's uh could try to find and can read it but really then, it's yeah, the yeah good really. morning that's amazing wow. <laughs> it is i thought for sure when you when you're saying lifted straight 
from something i was like oh it's probably you know like shadows gandalf, of the past yeah. yeah like gandalf saying like you know all you have to decide is what to do with the time is given to you you know that kind yeah. of thing but yeah the good no. morning thing i did not see that coming yeah yeah <laughs> that's it, hilarious I, was, I found that also fun he did not include it because he thought oh it could be um copyright problems or something yeah. like this because it was wow. really close to the original um right. it's um really uh, really <laughs> funny clueless fangirls in the chat she's i'm gonna ignore her turin comment because her and i have a big disagreement on turin i i think he's he gets a bad rap because his fate was kind of uh predestined predetermined yeah. but uh she doesn't think think of it that way i'm is gonna she... ignore that comment <laughs> see she she also doesn't like dwarves either she has this thing she's she's, she's an elitist elf is what she is yeah <laughs> i forgot about her dwarven hatred <laughs> yeah she hates the dwarves which are like some of the the best of all the people of middle earth but oh yeah um, I, I mean they're loyal they're loyal they're honorable sure they have yeah. a problem with greed but like yeah they still can't be dominated by some other person's will they're just dominated by their own will to have jewelry yeah well <laughs> and, gold. and i think even more than that to be honest, Joyston, really, is they just want to be left alone. They're yeah. introverts at heart. Like, I can so relate to just wanting to go back to your cave and leave me alone. Like, I don't want your elven troubles in my Casa Doom. That's, you know? that's a great point. And then that's always where the problems like stem from is because somebody won't leave them alone, whether it's Balrog, yeah. Orcs, smaug you know mm -hmm. <laughs> like they just want to be left alone for time. yeah <laughs> i like that <laughs> really... and don't forget the dwarves bailed out you know have bailed out the elves before a few times like in the oh yeah uh the dagger bragalach um you know when they uh killed fought uh, against uh, you know uh, fought against glaurung yeah. yeah and then uh in when a region gets sacked um, yeah yeah true you know they come they come out of casa doom and save tons of elves from certain doom so oh yeah oh yeah, yeah absolutely um i think and, and, I mean, also kind of... uh, went through uh, casa doom yeah yeah they wouldn't even have Galad galadriel would have been toast in a region probably i don't know maybe not uh, maybe Galadriel's not very awesome yeah, she's yeah, awesome. Clueless fangirl. I didn't want to be that guy. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> they, yeah, and uh, the Nernaith are noidiad. The um, that's when those dwarves came out there. But, oh uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, you're good. I was like, I'm just gonna let it slide. But then Clueless fangirl was like, no. Yeah. <laughs> um, but no, you're you're absolutely right. I mean, where would the elves be without the dwarves? Mm -hmm. um, you know, eventually the dwarves did take care of the the goblins from moria problem um yeah because they mm -hmm. reclaimed moria in the fourth age yeah. Yeah. sure the elves may have been gone but that's not the dwarves fault um, and even uh, before they um like what is it 2700 third age um there was the war between uh, uh dwarves and orcs where they basically yeah almost cleansed the whole misty mountains from orcs yeah. of course some some were left but uh still there was like it was huge also we have the Battle of the Five Armies, which also um, stabilized the, the, the region there. Probably also helped out uh, Thranduil a bit. That the uh, orcs oh, yeah. were decimated so big. There was like, I forgot the 
exact number because I'm very bad at memorizing numbers, but I think Gandalf in The Hobbit says like um, after this battle, the orc population in this region was, I don't know, halved or quartered or yeah. whatever, something like this. So it was. Well, I, uh, what they, you know, what you would only, you know, I've explained this to people before with uh, the films, you know, we get the sense all these orcs came from Dol Guldur where in actuality they were from the Misty Mountains yeah. and uh, and Gundabad and mm -hmm. the Grey Mountains. So, you know, there's this huge northern force of orcs that uh, were spread out in that region. All right, so Clueless Fangirl, she's still, she's still not convinced. Um, <laughs> all right, so here we go. I think I've thought of a way that a dwarf and his actions saved all of Elvenkind. So you have the dwarf in the first stage, Telkar. He built the sword Narsil. Narsil would be used by Elendil and then a sealed door. A sealed door would cut the ring from Sauron's hand only with the, the great blade that was forged by dwarves. Thus, Sauron wasn't able to continue his conquest to destroy all of elves and all of men because of a sword that dwarves forged. Yep. Not not that elvish stuff. Nah, man, it's there's all it was all the dwarves. <laughs> you know, do you know why? Do you know why? elvish blades glow it's not they say they say it's to detect orcs but it's really because they're afraid of the dark oh <laughs> dang man he's, okay. he's out here <laughs> wow oh man oh that, i love that that's I'm hilarious just, <laughs> this is fun. we're we're just like like clueless fangirl is totally taking over the chat right now she's, oh yeah she's, she's all riled up now yeah we've we've accomplished what we've set out to do today oh, so oh absolutely absolutely and we talked she, about dwarves while doing it awesome yeah. she will start her conquests now <laughs> <laughs> that's yes. awesome yeah but this um maybe leads us when well, we leads us a little bit into the dwarf topic which uh, we are also intended for the discussion today it's uh Maybe to the to the um, sadness of uh, Clueless Fangirl, I guess. But I think also dwarves are always an interesting uh, topic in Tolkien because they are so, yeah, I wouldn't say unusual. They seem to, if you think about Tolkien, you also think about dwarves, but compared mm -hmm. to like elves and men, they, they are definitely different in many ways. And that oh, yeah. makes them kind of very interesting. I, I was watching a video on D&D dwarves recently. Uh, and it, they raised an interesting point. Um, they said like dwarves throughout pretty much all of history, all of fiction have pretty much been very similar. You get the, you get the similar idea of the ale drinking, right? Bearded, heavy armor or shirtless dwarf with a battle ax, you know? Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, the, the like Germanic, uh, you know, history or, or mythologies and, and kind of, uh, thoughts on the dwarves is is similar uh in all of those ways whereas elves you you know throughout all of the history of our cultures like elves have def definitely shifted and mm -hmm. tolkien kind of i don't know he, he made the elves what they are seen as in pop culture today i feel mm -hmm. like he kind of reestablished that as the norm he you made know, these... elves great again is that what you're saying Euston? he he really he did <laughs> <laughs> Tolkien made elves great again. And, uh, you know, he established, right, their languages that are, are often seen kind of elsewhere. But with dwarves, 
it's really interesting that he reestablished and kind of strengthened who they've always been throughout all mythologies, mm-hmm. all cultures. And, um, and yeah, I, I, f- I find that really fascinating because I, you might say that those were the least, like of all of the races, men, elves, hobbits, and right? Those are the least ones he changed are dwarves. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, yeah I find that really fascinating. Yeah. I've never thought of that, that, you know, I, I've, obviously heard and thought of you know how different elves are you know when before tolkien i always you know if you said elf i thought of uh you know santa's elves yeah exactly Um, yeah like little bitty (laughs) teeny tiny guys running around you know and now i think of you know deadly archers who could shoot an orc between the eyes from a thousand yards away or something (laughs) so yeah that no that's interesting i'd never thought about that with no that's a good point that's yeah. a really good point. They feel very, um, yeah. I mean, they are very, uh, they're as elves also creatures or beings um, that are, have a very deep fundament in mythology. And uh, yeah, but you are right. Maybe they, they um, feel closer to what their original um, imagination of, of, of these mythological beings is compared to how the elves are maybe in Tolkien's. Of course, still yeah. Tolkien um, captured the essence, and there's also like there's a lot of things when it comes to um, to to this to this topic. Like for example, the plural with the elves is always written like uh, V E S at the end, which is like a very um, archaic writing of I think it. Mm-hmm. And uh, in German, um, the German translation, they tried to capture it by also like an older older version of the word elf which also exists in german we call them um, elben or elb with a b at the end Mm. which is also like an older version to 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 capture the spirit it's very interesting yeah i with the the elves are an interesting part of tolkien because i feel like those i I know he created hobbits and everything and and i don't get me wrong I, i you know i love obviously love my hobbits um honestly that's i find myself very drawn to their way of life but <laughs> um but who i not? feel like in terms oh sorry oh who not <laughs> yeah <laughs> oh yeah <laughs> i uh i feel like with with them though it's pretty it, they don't have too deep of a culture and and mm. while i do think there are some ties between them and the ancestors of the rohirrim the aothade i don't think it goes too far beyond this kind of anglo-saxon um culture almost with elves though it's almost like he recreated that culture from the ground up and i feel like that's where the heart of tolkien's works are and you you get that sense after you know you read the summer you read the unfinished tales and you're like oh he cared mostly like of all the races it seems like elves were his focus it seems like Mm -hmm. elves um you know in later ages it became how elves kind of gave way to their younger brothers and men and they kind of you know let them inherit inherit the world but I feel like he was most concerned with elves in the Silmarillion. And you see why, because he constructs two, at least two languages, not even concerning their dialects, but Quenya and Sindarin. And he constructs all of these different uh, cities and realms and kingdoms, types of elves. Uh, I think, Matt, you did a, a like Clans of the Elves video recently, yeah. right? Um, yeah. I, I, yeah. I, 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 oh, sorry. No, just oh, I was just going to say, yeah, uh, explaining like, Basically, every time, you know, during their migration, 
uh, West, like every time a group breaks off, they get new names. It's crazy oh, yeah. how many names there are for for every. You know, it's like <laughs> it's like these dwar or these these dwarves, these elves. Uh, you know, they they broke off, so then they they get this name, and then part of that group they break off, and so they get this name. It just <laughs> that goes translates on and into on. this, yeah, in right, our language. Yeah. And yeah. and I I remember I made a clans of the elves video. It was like 15, 15 minutes or so, like a couple years ago, and. It was one of the more difficult and complicated videos I've done. It's one of the ones I'm most proud of because, uh, because yeah, exactly like you say, it's like the amount of names and dialects and languages that they all have is just, it's, it's insane. It's, it's, a, it's incredible. It's amazing. Um, so I feel like those were his focus in kind of mm -hmm. redefining what it, you know, in origin, in his original writings, what, they were as gnomes and then how they yeah. became the Noldoli and the Noldor and then the elves, you know, and, and all of that. Um, it's just, it's incredible. I feel like that's, that was part of the most defining thing about uh, the genre and about Lord of the Rings and Silmarillion and the Hobbit as a whole is how he defined elves for sure. Yeah, that is absolutely true. There's just so much when it comes to the law of the elves. I mean, I also, I think my longest video on my channel is 90, 95 minutes and it's only about Kirdan and um, the, the, his way <laughs> to the third age. It's, That's awesome. Wow, <laughs> it's, uh, yeah, wow. it's just, I was even scratch, was just even scratching the surface with it. It's still some, some topics I had to le leave out and so on because it's just too much. Yeah. I think I, the, feel, I feel like that's the the struggle we we probably all three have experienced that struggle oh yeah just about every video you do you're you know if you're especially in the early days i would end up with these just crazy long scripts because i was including too much stuff and i would have to cut back and say okay no i need to stick to the highlights and it's just again a testament to the detail that tolkien goes into um but yeah, it's it's always that constant struggle. Like I want to go into detail because the details are amazing. Yeah. But you have to kind of pick and choose. Other otherwise, <laughs> yeah, you you spend like three hours talking about, you know, uh, Galadriel or something. Oh yeah, yeah. It's so easy to get roped into. <laughs> no, that's why <laughs> accidentally my... talking about the smallest detail. That's so interesting. That's why my videos end up so long. Usually, <laughs> I'm very bad at cutting <laughs> stuff out. <laughs> Even though. I, I already cut stuff out like for my Sauron video it's also I don't know 70 minutes or 75 or something I have like um, I think three pages cut out of the script already <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah it's it's difficult when you're doing a small character versus a large character just how you approach those like videos because with a large character you just walk in knowing it's like okay I, I can't talk about everything but yeah, then you yeah. make a video on Prince Imrahil and it's like, okay, this morning he had this to eat for breakfast. And it's like, okay, <laughs> is this really worth putting in? Nope. Okay, I'm doing it anyway. <laughs> yeah, that is true. <laughs> that is pretty true. I mean, the, the elf video that got like one and a half hours long was originally intended only to be about uh, Kirdan. And then I just covered every detail of, of elf lore that he could be uh, connected uh, to with it and it'd be like a video about the history of the elves instead of the video about Kirdan, but uh, <laughs> still like it a lot. <laughs> it's just, yeah, there's just so much. There will be more videos. I think the only other um, race or people, peoples of um, the only other people of Middle Earth that might have a comparable complex law are, are men. I think. Yeah. Yeah. 
that is there's a lot about men it's just sometimes you forget because a lot of it is buried by a lot of generations basically while you have like in the first age you have galadriel and you have galadriel in the i don't know um third age still in the fourth age mm -hmm. she's in the valinor and so on so there's just a huge span but you only have one character when it comes to men you have like in the first age very different men than you have in the second age or even throughout the first age there are um, all kinds of uh, men around I, like a very iconic scene is the um, death of bear and um, the elf mm -hmm. wondering what is happening to him yeah yeah, no, that's it's that's a great point. Um, with men, it's interesting. Like Tolkien drew, and this is where when people say uh, Middle Earth is almost like a mythical history or mythological history for our own world, it's it's true in a sense because you see with men like the the, the Rohirrim, you have those Anglo-Saxon ties. With the Northmen of Rovanion, you have the Norse ties. With the men of Gondor, you kind of see some a bit of Roman and. Um, and more Saxon stuff involved there, if, if my memory serves me. Um, and yeah, I mean, Numenor, uh, yeah, you kind of have almost the Atl Atlantis yeah. mythology drawn into that. So it, with with that, it's, it's really interesting because he was definitely concerned with how the world of elves passed into the world of men and how the glories and beauties of the elder days, of the elder race, were passed into today, into today's society, and that longing for what will never be again, right? For the longing that we can all feel when we think back to a good moment in our childhood, where it's like that that'll never exist again. Um, it's he draws on that nostalgia element, and I think that's one of the things that makes his work so impactful. <clears throat> and you see that a lot in how men think of elves, how elves think of the older elves and, and their realms of elder days. You see that in dwarves and how they think of their former realms and their kingdoms that were taken from them. Yeah. Um, but with men, it's, it's interesting because the, the men that are closest to elves, those that speak their languages, those that are friends with them are just like objectively more moralistic and more good men than those who defy elves and who go against elves and speak you know don't speak their language speak and do nike right and the numenorian language and it's just really interesting how it's still somewhat revolved around this elven this elven landscape this elven world but it's it's how did their world become our world and yeah mm -hmm. it's so good yeah and it, that's one of the things i'm most excited about potentially you know i i, I really hope they pull off in the amazon show yeah um you know as, you know just thinking as you're as you're talking you know i i go back to thinking of uh you know how the lives of men are so brief in the eyes of elves oh yeah and you know you think of elrond you know his brother elros and the potential there you know um with the show in particular you know you have generations that follow Elrond's brother and you know you you could see Elrond interact with generations that have followed his brother yeah. and like how far they fall and like amazing then the resurgence you know with uh Elendil um and his group there's there's so much potential there like for some really rich storytelling I feel like um just like I said just looking at the character of Elrond oh yeah yeah and that's where I hope 
there is a central focus on you know Elrond, Galadriel, Celebrimbor, um, Gilgalad. Yeah, for those reasons exactly because of how they interact with <clears throat> the generations that became the Aragorns of the world, mm -hmm. and that became the um, you know the Elendils and and all of that. Yeah, yeah, that is that is true. I mean, also what is what is interesting in the, in this uh, regard is like the the connection between um, men and elves in a way like if we look at lord of the rings like minas tiris wait i have a screenshot here in the background um if you if you look at it basically this is also somewhat elvish in in in, in a weird way because the the cultures of the faithful are so connected to the, to the elves they have the the white tree um maybe some of a bit of this architecture could be considered um distantly elvish i would say mm -hmm. and um it is i mean yeah with with Menas Tirith especially it, yeah. it recalls gondolin and gondolin exactly. recalls tyrion um in exactly. Alinor, so yeah. that, that's like also a connection only but only between a certain group of men which are the dune edain or the faithful of mm -hmm. those and um, this breaks apart probably when you um look at to the easterlings or um the rohirrim and so on so there are oh, def yeah. definitely different aspects but it's also interesting that um yeah the as you said as, as we said like minutes ago how important the elves were um, in tolkien's world and you, i think you see the elven culture aspect also in some parts of men and especially those that are very important for the uh, for the bigger stories that yeah is yeah absolutely definitely interesting and yeah we also have the alliance of elves and men and uh, even though the dwarves are also um, fighting, uh, I guess, in this battle and joining and are rarely mentioned, though. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You can't forget the dwarves now. Yeah, they always it, forget the dwarves. It was like one sentence in the Silmarillion, but they were there. At, yeah. They uh, were there. The last one sentence, they were there, though. <laughs> <laughs> also fought in it. And uh, yeah, it's, in my opinion, uh, kind of kind of interesting Still, though, if we um, look back at the origins of uh, the yeah, of the of the bigger stories, which is man, it's not the origin. That's not true, though. But when it comes to publication, at least it is is the Hobbit, which is of course a story that is strongly tied around the dwarves. Mm -hmm. It is um, like like another aspect, and it also um, contributes to the topic of the uh, feud between dwarves and elves that is uh, going on, which is. A very uh, interesting aspect um, of the law well um i think what wasn't were there many feuds between men and elves probably not when the uh, dune edain arrived in beleriand um they were most at least to some degree welcomed by the elves at least mm -hmm. some elves uh, finrod of course being a prime example here and then yeah. they also became vessels and basically um, worked for the elves and helped them out in their war and um, defending their um, their realms against uh, Morgoth's armies and so on. I, I I can't remember. Maybe it was both times, but when men joined Morgoth against the elves in the first age, like the Easterlings of Valyriant, yeah. and then when men joined Sauron against the War of the Last Alliance at the end of the Second Age, that was something the elves never forgot. And that was something like duly uh, overt, or yeah, overtly noted in the those texts was that the elves never forgot um, that men had gone against them. But it was, again, like you say, the, it was never the Dunedain. It was never the uh, the three houses of the Edain. Yeah. Um, 
the the faithful men. And but, it's interesting. Yeah. Sorry. No, sorry. Uh, go ahead. It's it's interesting too. You know, as you were talking about that, I was thinking back to the first age. I was trying to think like, okay, what are instances of men like, um, you know, for lack of a better term, screwing over the elves? And there's not <laughs> not really that come to mind. You know, I think of uh, all the the most egregious uh, aspects of betrayal, um, aside from the the Easterlings and the Nirnaith, mm-hmm. um are really elves betraying their own kind. You know, you think of uh, <laughs> oh yeah, Gond- Gondolin, and uh, um, you know, there's all these instances, and it's it's never, you know, the um, the men who who know where Gondolin is. They're you know, Horin's the one that you know, stares Morgoth in the face and says no. And yeah. then it's it's an elf that, that ends up giving him the location of Gondolin. Yeah, it's it's funny. Uh yeah. Warren, he, you know, he accidentally did give away like the region in which Gondolin was, mm. but that yeah, that was because he did he needed help, you know? Um mm-hmm. but it was never never on purpose to help Morgoth. Yeah, he he yeah. did st- stare the devil in the face and say no. Um yeah. and yeah, no, you're right. I mean, I can think of with Turin, right? And those few instances where, oh yeah, wh- whether it was like his arrogance or yeah. his ignorance, like he got a couple elves killed for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, True. But yeah, I again, guess I whether... was thinking, I was thinking outright like betrayal. I guess yeah, yeah the story of Turin's pretty, pretty uh, <laughs> good examples of elves collateral damage. Yeah. <laughs> That's the best way to put that. Yeah, yeah collateral that's, damage. That's the most diplomatic way to say it. I guess. Yeah, <laughs> it is. Um, but with the conversation of dwarves and elves, it, it's funny because they're kind of the most diametrically opposed yeah. of, of races in Middle Earth, at least of the free peoples. But at the same time, they're very alike, especially like if you look at the Noldor and the, the dwarves who are crafters. Mm-hmm. It's like mm-hmm. um, they're very alike. They're very culturally... Um, you know, present. They they have a lot of respect and honor for their own cultures, um, but it's it's the difference between a mountain and a tree, right? It's yeah, the difference exactly. between uh, or in a forest. Yeah. That's, so it's that's an interesting uh, detail to this too. Uh, like um, in um, Aule um, calls um, the, uh, the, the 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 mountains. Um, yeah. Or no, no, I think it's Yavanna calls it um, the 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 trees of Aule, the mountains. Mm-hmm. and that it, it underlines this a little bit more that this is as you say it's basically somewhat a conceptual opposite but in a way they are also very similar at least at mm-hmm. least when it comes to the Noldor um, dwarves and elves it's a very good point that you made there yeah thank you um, and, and it's interesting because you know for as much as they've kind of butted heads the only kind of example that we have of dwarves killing elves is in that first age right the uh, battle of the thousand caves and the battle yeah. at uh, sarn athrad and um but beyond that they they act like they're always at each other's throats but they're really not it's almost like yeah. a, a rivalry between brothers yeah it's yeah. um you know and it's just like at the end of the day you can count you can expect them to have each other's backs but they yeah. just are going to go about it in a different way um yeah it's it's, yeah, it's, it's it, yeah it's more of a it's, it's not so much of like a huge feud as it is just kind of a petty argument i feel like especially when you look at the feud itself okay there are multiple versions of it of course as uh, mentioned uh, mm-hmm. earlier um, but um, as we can um, it's basically always connected to the uh, silmarils to the silmarilli and yep. 
it, it's like, okay, Thingol wanted those and of course they want them too. They are the Silmaril. Who does not want uh, to have a Silmaril? Like it's, mm-hmm. um, it's, it's kind of um, understandable. Both had this huge appreciation for the beauty of, of and, and the power of those gems and they just wanted to have them as Thingol was warned before that getting um, the Silmaril might not be a good idea by uh, his wife Melian and it was in the end it was his doom and mm-hmm. and it also underlined the 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 constant disliking of of elves and, and men from that point because it's uh, yeah very interesting that the 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 dwarfs helped Thingol to to build his 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 cave um, and to um also they helped him i think uh, they they also made the uh, Nauglamir, if I'm not mistaken, and yep. then uh, later the Silmaril became the Nauglamir is like a, what do you call it? Not an amulet, like it's a vessel, a necklace, yeah. a necklace. That's the word. Yeah, um, a necklace, and the uh, Silmaril was uh, put into it uh, later. And then it, the the Nauglamir itself was considered one of the most beautiful um, uh, jewelry that was was around basically and uh, was largely uh, desired. And then they combined this other very very legendary gem the one of the silmaril uh, silmarili into um this and then it just was mind-blowing so of course yeah. even morgos wanted the silmarili so um it's kind of understandable that uh, on, on the on a very basic level that this conflict could have um uh, this conflict happened in the past and it's kind of interesting to see that it continued for such a long time and it was like yeah, I don't know. In the original version, it was not not a misunderstanding, but I think in the original version, two dwarfs escaped and basically did not tell the truth about what happened because um, they don't want to mm-hmm. get get the blame. And then this conflict basically um, started um, based on on a little lie. That was, I think, the original version of uh, one of the earlier versions of Tolkien um, that he had, and Christopher Tolkien had to change it a lot to make it fit into the Silmarillion, but. Actually, I think that is the, from yeah, what I, I think, recall, at least from my Silmarillion. Um, yeah, I think that is the version, Matt. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think I think you're right. I think I think they went back and said that, uh, you know, they refused payment or something. That Thingol refused yeah. to pay. I can't. Uh, I have to admit, I my mind they those versions fused a little bit. The biggest difference between the uh, versions is that it was around the time when um, they hunted um, the uh, Karharoth. Um, the oh. hound of Morgoth, um, Thingol went out and uh, hunted him, and then there he was surprised by the dwarves and killed in this conflict. Oh. While um, oh, it th- th- was that's, connected originally. If I can remember correctly, that's news to me. I've, yeah, I've never never heard that version before, but that's really interesting. He would have been open to attack then, and that oh wow. Yeah, yeah but the, the problem was, um, it seems like um, Tolkien did not consider that the um, girdle of uh, Melian was protecting mm. this ah. area, and the uh, Karcharos, I think, could only pass because his fate was greater than the power of Melian, and they yep. had, no ex- they had no excuse for the dwarves to be there. I think that Tolkien tried it with, like, <laughs> they had an elf that helped him to get past it, but that would also be very weird, in my opinion, so it didn't work out. And yeah. Christopher Tolkien had to change it then. That's a lot... So the essence is basically the same, but um, some of the details and connections were different originally. That makes sense. And they probably wanted to use uh, Thingol in the... If he would have died at that point, he couldn't have been in the uh, Children of Hurin or anything like that. Exactly. 
that is uh, it is the next problem that comes to it exactly. So <laughs> clueless fangirl, the bloody dwarves. Just saying. I mean, elves <laughs> in the first age, the elves were bloodier than the dwarves were. I oh mean, my gosh. <laughs> yeah, she. Yeah, I mean, you you talk about you know the greed of dwarves, but I mean, show me the dwarves whose entire family took a blood oath to kill their own people <laughs> if they didn't get jewelry back. You know. Yeah. <laughs> and then you and won't on. you won't give me boats. All right. I guess I gotta kill you I then. Kill you. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. Dwarves then, didn't kill anybody over boats. Yeah. <laughs> and, then, and then he convinced all the other, or not all the, but a lot of uh, Noldor to come with him on his war against Morgoth. And then he sailed over and burned the ships, so they had to walk. Burn the ships. Oh uh, yeah, I, I was talking about this yesterday uh, on my Patreon podcast. Like, it's so it's so funny that like it's so it's so ironic that or yeah he drags all the noldor into this battle like inspirational he's like yeah let's go get them sails across the ocean burns the ship like goes into battle and dies like immediately yeah, yeah it's basically <laughs> and then everybody like else that. is like why did we come here again <laughs> this guy <laughs> this guy who died like who ran right into battle and died the first thing he did pretty much <laughs> yeah it's and then his kids are saddled with that oath that yeah he, you know i imagine <laughs> i imagine Feanor's speech is like a really good, you know, sports movie with a, a oh, yeah. good pep talk from a coach and everyone's just like, yeah, let's go. And then they get over there, Feanor dies almost instantly and it's like, shoot. I think we the, the quarterback goes down immediately and it's like, yeah. you gave that speech, wait. Yeah. Like now we're saddled with this oath. So like we have to, we have to kill everybody. Oh man. Yeah. But um, they went with it to the very last. <laughs> we have to give them that. <laughs> but yeah, it's a really uh, fascinating story that is also, I don't know, it, it feels very, in the first age always feels very uh, mythologic in a way, like yeah. like could be like straight out of a myth. It's um, always fascinating. Yeah, absolutely. So people, we have... Um, we are probably at the end of the uh, podcast, I think. I mean, we could go on for hours. I I don't mind, but um, <laughs> oh, sure. um, Joyston gave me like a, a time limit and I think we have oh, uh, reached it. I'm sorry, I got to go hit the gym like Tulkas, right? Think, think yeah. of him in my mind as I'm there. <laughs> well, that's, that's a good one. I have to hit the gym like Tulkas. <laughs> I feel like there's a t-shirt design in there. Yeah, so I, 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 I to, see that too. I would... need to get on that. Thanks. Yeah, that's, that's true. Oh, I love it. You heard it here first. <laughs> so, yeah, I would say, um, because it's already late, I can't believe that two hours are already over. Um, yeah, that was fast. Crazy. It was really fast. Well, it was a lot of fun with you guys. Um, I was, I'm really honored that you were here uh, talking with me about uh, talking and other things. Uh, much, much appreciated. Uh, thank yeah, you. Thank you for having us. Yeah, yeah thanks that was, for that having was a great us. time. Yeah. So, um, yeah, we have, let me just uh, check. I think, I hope I prepared this. I, I did, I did. Oh, great. So we have at the end, as it's um, tradition, um, um, shout out sections, uh, section <laughs> where each of you can say maybe what's coming next, uh, where do people find you, what you're doing, stuff like this. So maybe we start with uh, Joysten. Yeah, uh, thank, yeah, thank you again for having me. It's, it was a great time. Um, yeah, you can find me on YouTube at uh, Men of the West. 
we you know talk about this every week so i i uh yeah do tolkien videos every sunday and um i'm on twitter and facebook as well at the at the same i, I guess on twitter i'm at yoiston so um yeah we do have i don't know how much we can talk about this now but uh, we'll just we'll just foreshadow it a little bit for the 25th a very important date in middle earth we've got a huge collaboration coming up between all the tolkien channels so uh, look out for that. So, yeah, thank you again. I really appreciate it. Nice. Yeah, of course, the, our, our little collaboration that's coming up on Tolkien Reading Day um, will be really nice. So, yeah. Uh, yeah, let's continue with Matt. Yeah. Um, yeah, so uh, my YouTube channel is Nerd of the Rings. So that's at youtube.com slash Nerd of the Rings. Um, I'm also on uh, Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook um, as well. And I will also be partaking in uh, next week's Tolkien Reading Day festivities. Um, and I am this Saturday, so my videos come out Saturdays at noon Eastern time. Um, I'm going to be debuting a new series that I'm doing um, where I'm going to be tackling um, misconceptions of uh, Tolkien's work. So like if oh. you've that's awesome. If you're you're like a movie only fan and you thought something, you know, we're we're going to take it common misconceptions that people have whether it's because they're not familiar with the books or you know, they've only seen the movies stuff like that. So, um I won't I won't reveal the title of of this one because I'm I'm keeping it under wraps for now, but it's coming on Saturday. So. Mm, cool. Okay, so yeah, for the few people who don't know who I am, <laughs> my hearing this podcast was this guy. Um, yeah, I hosted this uh, this podcast, and yeah, I'm the Philosopher's Games, aka Chris, TPH Games in short. And yeah, you see on the screen my stuff like YouTube slash the Philosopher's Games, Twitch, same, and at Philosoph Games at Twitter. Um, yeah, I do also Tolkien Law stuff, also cover video games at times. Right now, I cover them a little bit more, but after next video there will be a lot more talking content on my channel again also live stream on twitch at times where i play some uh, games and sometimes i also do like experimental journeys into other topics like i did a video about cyberpunk as a subgenre or something like this but uh, yeah stuff like this you'll find on my channel um yeah that is the episode i guess uh, for today again uh, thank you guys much appreciated that you are here um, there will be a VOD for this on my YouTube channel and there will be um, also the audio-only version on uh, Spotify and iTunes and whatnot. As a podcast version, check out those. Links should be somewhere here. And uh, yeah, thank you guys for watching. I hope you enjoyed this show. See you to the next episode of the of, Rings, uh, of Games at Rings podcast. See you next time. Goodbye.